Tonight, I've called this message Kingdom Collision. Kingdom Collision. And as you hear it, I want to bring you into a new reality, kingdom reality, of what is real reality, not what the earth says it is. And I want to be able to bring something tonight, and as I bring forth the truth, I don't want you to feel condemned in any way, because you know that's not of God. But allow your spirits to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because the wonderful thing about it is when the Holy Spirit convicts you about something, then you see a new reality. You want to walk in that reality. You don't want to run away from it or feel like you're no good or you can't do it. The fact is that everybody, God is working in us to bring us into a new reality, a kingdom reality that is far better than any of this here, than what we see now in the earthly realm. And it's an exciting reality once you start to grasp hold of it. And I really encourage you tonight. I want you to be encouraged and uplifted, not dragging your heels out the door. I want you to be uplifted. Amen? Well, when I grew up in the 1960s, I know that uh, (laughs) some of you will be saying, gosh. (laughs) I remember as a boy, we got our very first TV just before man walked on the moon. And it was only a matter of months before he did. And I remember seeing Neil Armstrong getting down that ladder and putting his, his foot on the ground. And saying those words, you know, oops. <laughs> no, it wasn't quite oops. <laughs> it was one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Anyone else remember that? Oh, there's a few. <laughs> Time travelers, yeah. <laughs> it was a golden age, come on. <laughs> it was a golden age. <laughs> we saw many things. But you know, I thought, when, we, when I saw that, man, I thought, gosh, man has finally done it. They've conquered what they thought was impossible. And, there, you know, there's something in man and all of us that God's placed there to break through barriers, to actually break through something that, that holds us back. And we've seen it, whether people have known God or not. But, you know, we've seen people discover lands that they you know, never thought was there. I mean, Christopher Columbus sailed to the end of the earth. You've discovered new lands. Marco Polo. You know, all those different ones, Captain Cook. Then the things in medicine and how people have um, discovered all sorts of things. I mean, look at the guy who invented the wheel. Hasn't that benefited us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit easier than driving with squares. The fact is that there is something in all of us about breaking through to another level. And some of us are actually... Hold back. If, if I'm honest with you, my nature's a bit more reserved. And I, I do tend to hold back a little bit. But God wants us to break out of that and walk into something that we've never done before. But it's with his leading and with his guiding. And we see all sorts of things in, in uh, history. And some have been good and some have been not so good. We see in the Bible, for instance... You see, as I was going to say, our greatest strengths can also become our greatest weaknesses. And here we see in the Bible, you know the story about the Tower of Babel? It was an incredible program. No one had ever built a huge building like that ever before. Nothing wrong with that. But when you look at it, you see the sinister motives underneath. What was their motives? It was to create something. It was to create a name for themselves. 
Isn't that interesting? A name for themselves. You know how the Tower of Babel was put together? I'll show you very quickly. They got a mixture of stuff from the earth. Isn't it interesting? A mixture of different particles, and they brought it together into brick molds. And they conformed it all into the same thing, every part of it, a brick. How does God build? He builds with living stones. Then they used mortar to join it all together so it would stick and stay together and wouldn't be moved. It wouldn't move. It was rigid and in place. How does God build? How does he join us together? Through love. And then on the outside of this huge tower, what they got was they, they got all this slime from the pits of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what they were known for, these slime pits. And they put it all around the outside so that it would cover up all the inside bits so that it looked really, really good. Isn't that interesting? But God always builds from the inside out. And so a reflection of what happens on the outside is what really is happening on the inside. See, there's a huge difference between the way the world does it and the way God does it. It's quite different. Sadly, not much has really changed as we compare that with many, I suppose, of the church fabric today. You know, the motive behind many churches has been to make a name for ourselves. Now, I can say this because I was caught up in that system. It's exactly what we were doing. I mean, our main goal was to get as many people on seats. It wasn't really about the caring of the people so much or anything like that. It was to be seen to have so many more people with us, to make a name for ourselves. I was caught up in that system. You see, success was measured by what? How many people you had in your congregation? How many sort of all the different types of programs that you ran? And were they popular enough? It was how many books you had written. And had you been invited to speak at all the right places? And if you had, you had made it. You see, that was the motive. You see, to be quite honest, I'm not quite sure where God was left in all of that. I think we left him out there somewhere when we were building our own towers. True. The great news is that God is reclaiming his church he's bringing it back out of the hands of men and back into his hands building it the way he intended to build it however when god builds something guess what there's always a counterfeit that rises up a counterfeit just with enough truth to draw people away and make it look good You know the number one phrase in the the country at the moment and around the world? It's the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? The kingdom. You see, at the moment, the kingdom is being preached everywhere, which is great, right throughout this country, but it's becoming just another fad. See, the kingdom message is now very popular, but in essence, it's being preached out there In a different way, look at this. The kingdom personal message or kingdom personal destiny, our kingdom personal relationship, our kingdom personal rights, our kingdom personal giftings and ministries, our kingdom titles, our kingdom this and our kingdom that. See, the message hasn't really changed. It's just packaged differently, churned out, spat out, and spoon-fed to us so that it keeps us entertained and gratified. 
It's just preached in a different way that's acceptable to man. You know, I was speaking to somebody. I was at uh, a birthday party. Um, a friend of mine who I went to school turned 50. Uh, there's a group of us that turned that <laughs> recently. <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed of 50. <laughs> but anyway, I was talking to this guy, and he's from a different town. And it was great. To, I hadn't seen him in over 30-odd years. And uh, he was mentioning about his church and how popular the kingdom message was becoming. And, and people were flocking to it. And, and it was really good. They wanted to hear the latest thing. And it was really great. However, something in here didn't feel right. See, the truth is, when it's actually preached, just as it was in Jesus' day, many people decide to run in the opposite direction. And I can understand how they feel. Because that's exactly what I wanted to do. See, when I had a revelation of what the kingdom of God was really about, and suddenly I saw my reality and the kingdom of God reality, it was worlds apart. And I wanted to run. I knew that was right, but I couldn't face it. I didn't know how. And so my reality was that I wanted to keep everything the same. God, why did you have to rock the boat? It was so convenient just doing what we always did. And we're churning this great big wheel. But you know, once I'd seen the kingdom, once I'd tasted of it, I knew I couldn't go back. I had to go and pursue what I'd seen and tasted of. Otherwise, I wasn't living in the way it should be. I wanted what God was actually bringing, but I had to leave that behind. Wherever the kingdom message, the true kingdom message is preached, there is a reaction. Why is there a reaction? Because this world and the kingdom of God collide. There is a reaction between the two. They cannot operate alongside each other. Otherwise, if they, we try and do that, we try and take the kingdom truth and we try and squeeze it around into our mold, into our shape. In actual fact, we water it down. And what we end up doing is we live in a mixture. It's like those different sand particles. We're mixtures of stuff. And eventually we become lukewarm, not knowing which way to go. They're going in opposite directions. However, to make it acceptable, many try and turn it around, water it down, dilute it, filter it, so that it's more acceptable. But nothing has really changed. You see, the kingdom message that's being preached is really like an outward facade. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. It's just really like an outward facade. There is no substance on the inside. And sadly, when times of shaking comes, guess what? It will come. Shaking will come. Many, many people will fall away because there's no substance or transformation going on the inside. And my heart breaks when people do not want to walk in that transformation way, they'd rather either go in an opposite direction or stay where they are, but never making that leap and that step out and breaking out into, it is the unknown, but allowing God to reshape and reform them. Man, as a church, we need to be praying for each of us as we walk this journey. We need to be praying for the church in New Zealand. We need to be praying for the Christians right round because we want to see them come to be drawn to the truth and not to a copy. 
You know, I love what Sandra brought a couple of, week, uh, couple of weeks ago about the butterfly, the caterpillar, caterpillar and the butterfly. And the amazing, I'm just going to just bring two little points about that, which you, you heard when you were here, because that's really important. And I know she's going to be speaking about it next Sunday morning. But just something here that was really, really important. And that was when the caterpillar comes to the branch, it has to intertwine itself to the branch. Unless it does so, when the shaking comes and that caterpillar shakes itself, it will fall to the ground and the process will die. And we don't want that. That's why we need to intertwine ourselves with God more and more and more. Because what God is doing, he's taking away all the stuff that we've been leaning on. All those things that we thought were important, all those things that we've held on to very closely, suddenly he's, he's, he's taking them away. We've got no supports. But if we're clinging to him, he becomes our everything. And the, the amazing thing is when the chrysalis starts to form up and around, the old skin comes to the top and it's round the side. And you see this old skin there. And it has to shake violently. It's not a little... It's a violent shake until finally that thing falls off to the ground. You know, unless that falls off, the caterpillar, as she said, becomes... Sorry, the butterfly becomes deformed. It's like us spiritually. Unless we get rid of the flesh, we can be spiritually deformed. Isn't that a terrible thought? So the transformation always requires a change. And right now, God is calling us to make a new journey, to leave what was behind and enter into the new through a process that Jesus alone modeled for us when he said, come, follow me. And for the disciples, it was literally a stepping out into the unknown with no plan B. (laughs) No plan B. That's what God's calling us to. It's a different way. And it's no different for us as God asks the same question to us. But it will cost you everything. But you know the reward is far greater than we've even thought or imagined once we step into it. We heard heard Clay speak an incredible message, a series of messages about the children in the wilderness. How many have enjoyed that? How many have heard that? I really encourage you. You know, he's been speaking at many in the morning, and it's a really excellent message to hear. And it's about the children of Israel and how they came into that place of wilderness. And how, as they were there, they longed for the old. They longed to be drawn back to what they once had. But, you know, they saw with their natural eyes God do a whole lot of miracles, a whole lot of signs and wonders. And yet... They still wanted the old. When Jesus was walking in the earth and he was healing different people and doing all sorts of signs and wonders, guess what? Did they believe him? No. There was a blindness there. So in other words, we don't go chasing after miracles because if you chase after miracles, your heart may still not be changed. We chase after him and he allows you to transform your heart and miracles follow. Signs and wonders follow because your heart and your mind is renewed. Otherwise, we just chase after things and nothing really happens on the inside. See, the kingdom message is a real challenge because God wants to capture back our hearts more than he's ever done before. 
Clay read out an incredible verse about the grumbling against God because they'd grown tired of the manna. Do you remember that? It's in Numbers 11.6 and it says, But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. In other words, I'm sick and bored of God's manna, his word to us. And somehow what we've done is we've allowed other things. We've taken it for granted and we've hungered after different things. And the word of God has become to the side. We often read other people's books and their opinions and their revelation. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But we've suddenly allowed those things to shape us more than what God's word does. And yet in here are the hidden truths waiting for us to uncover them. To actually do something in our heart that will change and rearrange us more than we've ever done before. When they override and take preference over the hidden word in his truth, something's not quite right. I, I read a, a finished reading a book just recently called The Heavenly Man about the underground church in China. It was really quite amazing. And they didn't have many Bibles. It was something that was difficult to get, but when they got it, they devoured that book. They, they took it literally as God's Word, and they lived from it day to day, every minute by minute. It consumed them. And one day they met an American, and they, who said, what can we do to help? And they said, we need Bibles. You know, in that time, they had complete unity. Everybody was going in the same direction because that's all they had. And so after a couple of years of Bibles being smuggled into China, which was great, suddenly, after about two years, they started putting a whole lot of other books in there. And as it got spread out through uh, China, suddenly, you know, one group would say, yes, but, um, you know, brother so-and-so says this. And another group would say, oh, no, 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 but brother so-and-so says this. And another group would say, oh, no, no, you've got it all wrong because brother so-and-so says this. And suddenly you've got all these People split off into different groups. Sounds like the West, doesn't it? Took them 12 to 13 years to actually get back together again. And they came back to this. They repented and they washed each other's feet and said, hey, let's walk together again as one. How far we've drifted from this, we've taken it for granted. Are we sick of his mana? When actually in this is life-transforming stuff that will change us and help us to intertwine with him. Psalm 106, verse 13 to 15 says this, They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Mm. You know, that's a picture of the church today. There's a leanness about the church because there's not a lot of depth to it. In Galatians five sixteen to 17 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the lusts of the flesh, against, so the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in harmony with each other? What does it say? These are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, lust, I looked it up the meaning of it and had to look at it. And it means a lot of different things. But here's some of the words. It means 
means what we set the heart upon or long for, covet, desire with a passion in time, place, and order. Isn't that interesting? When he's not number one, what is it that we lust after? What else do we place in front of us instead of him? Time and time again, God's people stood at an open door, and so do we. And we have a choice to either proceed into the unknown and trust God, or stay where we are and spiritually die. For 40 years, for 40 years after they left Egypt, a new generation had gathered at the Jordan River waiting to cross over. And the previous generations, the one that had died, the ones that had died, that had come out of Egypt, had died out there. And these ones were new. And they were ready to step out into what God had for them. They left Egypt as a rabble of individuals who didn't know who they were in God. But this new generation did. There was something about them. They began to know who God was for them. They were his inheritance, and he was theirs. Isn't that interesting? That Psalm 106, verse 5, they belonged to him. There was something about a trust now that they had that they didn't have before, and they stood together. But you know, the Jordan River always speaks of a death process. The people had to cross it. They had to go through it. They couldn't go over it, and they couldn't go around it. They had to cross through it. So tonight, I just want to focus a little bit about the Jordan River and the dying process, which is so important, because we're all facing a Jordan River. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 and 15 to 18, it talks about the men who crossed the Jordan River and came to David while he was a fugitive in the wilderness. He's another wilderness. Interesting, eh? There is something amazing about these men and the journey that they face, but first a little bit of background. Saul was the king at the time. Now, Saul was the very first king in Israel. Why was he placed there? Because the people wanted and desired something that the world had patterned. And so they put Saul in place. But God had always led the nation differently to the way Saul had done it. But the people desired. They saw what the other nations had had and said, we want that. So God allowed them to have their desire. And sadly, when our eyes are more on the world than above, we try and reproduce what's out there. We just repackage it and we call it something different. But the thing is that the things of the world will never change us on the inside. Only the things of God will bring about lasting times. And that's why we need an apostolic prophetic mindset. A mindset that sees above. Now, we're not called to be apostles or prophets. We're not all called to be that. But we can have their mindsets. And it's beginning in the flow of the apostolic and the prophetic because then we can see from above, from a heavenly perspective rather than from an earthly perspective. Because if we just have an earthly perspective, it'll keep your eyes down rather than above. The things of man eventually fall away. And what we see with Saul, he was focused on his self. And he struggled when this young man comes along the scene. And God's anointing and power and favor rests upon him. And instead of encouraging him, he gets really jealous. He has to what? He has to kill him. He has to get rid of him. Out of a mixture of jealousy and stubbornness, he has to kill him. Why? Because he feared losing his position 
and his title. All that he gained, he thought he'd lose because just suddenly this whippersnapper comes up out of the nowhere and suddenly everybody's eyes are drawn away from him. It made a huge difference. You see, when you look at it, Saul represents, Saul represents an old system, a worldly system, a self-focused empire-building system that has to crush everybody that tries to raise itself up. David represents the current move of God. And the two systems oppose each other. And even though David did everything in his power to honor and respect Saul, Saul, in his state of confusion and paranoia, couldn't help himself. He had to kill off the new move. It's exactly what the pattern of the church has been right throughout the history of the church. God suddenly gives a revelation to somebody and they get it and they take it and they begin to run with it. And as they're running with it, which is great and it can be worked for quite a time, and then suddenly they have to bottle it up. They have to work out how it works. They have to contain it. They have to put it into some little thing. And the life of it begins to drain out because man has now got control. And suddenly somebody else gets a revelation or something and starts running off. And this person over here who's guarding his little bit says, this one we can't have, and so wants to kill that current move. And so it goes on and on and on, and it's been right the way through. But God actually wants us to let go of all the old things and walk into the new. God's always moving. He's not resting, but man has to do something about building some little thing that contains what God wants to build. The two opposite systems couldn't work alongside each other, for they were going in opposite directions. But when, when, where one was following a soulish, worldly path, the other was stepping into what God was establishing in the earth on David's day. And sadly, this pattern has kept on going throughout the ages. David ended up being a fugitive on the run. But you know what? We never see in the Bible where David held up a sign and said, Hey, I'm looking for supporters. Guys, I want you to be drawn to me. Did you ever see David do that? Did he ever have a loudspeaker? This is David, the anointed man of God. Did you ever see that? There were no billboards with his big picture on it, you know? There was nothing at all. David quietly, just quietly walked in the way that God had for him. And people were drawn to him because of what they saw rested upon him and the anointing. But we can get so carried away with being drawn to a man. We can get so carried away with being drawn to a ministry, to a music ministry or to a children's ministry or to something that is so good that we think, oh, we just put it on this pedestal and we lift it up. But as you know that when suddenly those things fall away or a man of God falls or whatever happens, guess what? You end up with a lot of Christians suddenly disillusioned and they don't even go to church anymore. Because their faith was when, where? In a man or in a person. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants our faith and our eyes on him. But we must recognize the giftings that rest on people. And we're very privileged to have Greg here. We are very privileged to have the men and women sitting beside you here. But we don't lift them up and worship them. But we honor the gift and what God has placed on them. Amen? Amen? Otherwise, we can miss it. 
Men were drawn to what God was doing, and a steady migration of people came to David while he was considered an outlaw. Have you ever considered about those who crossed over the Jordan River to join him? And some of them did it in flood as well. Look at this. To cross from the old to the new, from the old wineskin to the new wineskin, they had to give up their old positions to enter the new. These men were mighty men, some of them were mighty men of war, who no doubt had a rank, a title, and a reputation to uphold. But an old position or title in the old, sorry, a position or a title in the old is irrelevant in this current move of God. God's doing a new thing. Sadly, you see, the reason for that is because we've built our whole um, identity around what we do, around our giftings, around our titles, around or being recognized for what we have done. But this is a new move where God is moving, and it's not based on that. We are not defined by what we do or what we have done. We're defined by Him. But but to be defined by him, we have to let everything else go, to be redefined. And God started doing that by dismantling everything around us. Suddenly we don't know what we are anymore. Suddenly everything feels fuzzy or hazy. But actually, if you're in that place, that's exactly where God wants you to be because he's actually removing all that stuff. He's making you feel uncomfortable so that you cry out to him. We stand like an empty page before him. Isn't that incredible? I remember Greg showing us. He showed us an empty page and he said to me, that's us. You know, it's, that's how we come to this current move of God. It's like we don't know very much at all, but we come as little children to him and say, God, I don't understand that, but I want more of you. Rather than saying, well, God, I've got this. I've had so many years of ministry. I've done this. I've done that. Well, you know, I I deserve to be this, this, and this. No, God can't work with that. We have to come with saying, God, I've got nothing here to give you but myself. Come as little children, and God can start to move. Unless we allow God to regenerate our hearts and minds, we will only reproduce what we always did. And the people that will struggle the most in this current move of God are particularly pastors, teachers, and evangelists because they've held on to an old position and it may not be current in this new move. And unless they transition over into what God is doing, they will struggle into the new because they're holding on to the part. You can't just add things to it. You've actually got to release the old and into the new. And you see, we have to have a fresh revelation of who he is. We have to have a fresh revelation of what the kingdom's all about and the changes that are required because otherwise what's being preached at the moment is only basically a basic understanding. You see, you can only teach or impart to the level of your understanding and revelation. And that's why we've got the Soto Kingdom stuff because they've never had a proper revelation of what the kingdom's really about. And it's just tagged on as an extra it sounds and feels good. But the fact is that there's no transformation happening on the inside. And that's where the cost is. But they're amazing when they do cross over, when they see it for the first time. Man, it changed my world. I taught, I mean, I was a teacher, I suppose, in teaching the word, and I loved that. But when I came into the reality of the kingdom reality, the word just totally changed because my eyes were open to a new reality. 
I didn't want to have to go preaching back what I was before. These men would also have to have contend with what will others say? You know that fear of losing face can actually stop us from stepping out? It can bind us into a mindset that is staid and rigid. It's called pride. And deep down, you know, it'll stop us from moving forward. You know, the Apostle Paul, as we all know, he was an incredible man. I mean, he was very, very uh, educated. He had a big reputation. People feared the guy. But when he had that encounter with the kingdom, when he had that encounter with Jesus, everything changed. It was so real that he could not go back to what he had before. He had to walk into the new. He didn't care a hoot about his reputation. It was totally destroyed. But he didn't need to worry about it. He was more concerned about what God was doing. Later, when, he was, when it was safe to do so, it says in Second Samuel, this is really interesting, after Saul had died, the elders came to him. And guess what they said? They said, also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. See, these elders already knew the word of God. They actually knew that David had been anointed king over Israel. They knew that God was out working his plans and purposes through them, but they were too scared to actually cross over in times when it wasn't safe to do so. They held back. Isn't that interesting? Don't let fear or pride stop you from stepping out into what God is doing. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves. You know, sometimes we have to say, God, I don't really understand this. You know, God can work with that. God can work with a heart that says, I don't understand, but I'm willing to come into that. God, open my eyes. And if you seek him with everything you've got, suddenly your kingdom reality will open up. Your eyes will open and your ears will come. You'll be able to hear differently. It took me a couple of years to walk into this. It didn't just happen overnight, but out of a hunger and a process, God changed me. You see, because pride can actually blind you spiritually, so we've got to get rid of that. But how will you cope when people speak out against us as a body? Have you ever thought about that? What will you do when they call the rock an occult? You know, people do all sorts of strange things. When the truth is spoken and people's lives are being transformed, people will speak out against it. How will you cope? Will you stand, able to stand with it or, or what? Well, how did Jesus cope when he spoke the truth and speak, people spoke against him? What did he do? He didn't do anything. <laughs> and that's a real key. We don't have to defend ourselves. Jesus didn't have to defend himself either. He just kept his eyes on his father and just walked the road that he was given, told to do. And all we need to do is walk the road that God is asking us to walk and keep our eyes on him. It doesn't matter what people say. People say all kinds of things. They lost everything. They lost their homes, their jobs, their lands, their reputations, even their dreams and their destiny with no guarantee of getting it all back. Some things have to die in order to enter into the new. And there's a real freedom of letting things go. And I've explained that once before or a number of times of my testimony and how we were doing music ministry and so forth. But God told us to lay it 
down. I don't regret that anymore because I, with it came a real freedom. It's not about our destiny and our purpose. It's about His. And that changes everything. Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6, 33 says, But first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Have you ever thought about the firsts in your life? I wonder what they are. These men were walking into the unknown. They didn't even know if David was going to accept them or not. But they knew one thing. They couldn't stay where they were. They had to change. They needed the courage to step out. You know, later in 1 Chronicles 12.32, it talks about the men of Ishaka who captured in their hearts what God was doing. They, they had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. You see, they'd been able to capture what God's bigger picture was. And we need to be able to capture that too. This, is, this current move of God is not about us or me individually. It's not even about the rock. It's about what God is doing on the earth globally. But we have such small little mindsets sometimes. But God wants to break out of that and begin to see from a heavenly mindset. We're just a part of his incredible jigsaw puzzle as he's putting it together. And I'm almost finished. 1 Samuel 22. Look at this. Now this is a bit of a hoot. 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 22. It talks about 400 men who came over to David, but they were distressed, in debt, and discontented. I mean, imagine 400 people come to a pastor who were all that. Can you imagine that? Man, I can handle one or two, but 400? <laughs> it's a lot. See, the, the house of Saul and the house of David, they were what? They were opposite each other. They were at war with each other in actual fact. They represented what? Two different operating systems, a worldly one and a kingdom one. One will leave you in, uh, leave you distressed, in debt, and discontented. Because anything of the flesh is empty compared to the real deal. And Saul, the house of Saul, left people tied up in a system that they felt bound to with fear. And they couldn't get out. Just like the elders did. As the huge wheels kept spinning. And so we easily look at other churches, we might say, oh gosh, they're more like the king, of the, you know, the house of Saul and the house of David. You know, we might look at other places around, but that's not what I want you to do. You know what? What about the house of Saul and the house of David in here? In our very hearts. It's not our job to go judging other churches and other places like that. It's what we have to take responsibility for our own hearts. What's happening in here? How much of the house of Saul is in there and how much of the house of David's in there? The spirit and the flesh. Because there is a battle going on, raging on. It's not little nice stuff. There is a battle raging on. Because I know within me, my flesh wants to be gratified. My flesh wants to be number one. My flesh wants to be selfish. It's a daily battle that we battle in here. But the more we intertwine with him and in his presence... The more we focus on him, the less we become. What will grow stronger in your heart? The house of David through a death process brought true life and freedom. See, we can't have two systems operating in our hearts and lives. It's got to be his and his alone. And that's why this move is so painful. 
because we want to reach on us. The house, over time, the house of Saul self-destructed and became weaker and weaker, whereas the house of David became stronger and stronger. You know, there are so many discontented, in debt, and distressed Christians around. You look at Auckland. They say there's over a, how many thousands and thousands? They don't even go to a place. They just wander around. I know lots of Christians, personally, that got discontented, and they, they've become very cynical about Christians. They don't even want to be part of it anymore. Why? Because it was empty and hollow. It led nowhere. But God wants to get back our hearts. Because people are looking out for the real deal. They want to see something that is real. But they have to see it in us first. They have to see what God is doing. And I believe God is starting to work in our hearts especially those who are hungry and are disillusioned uh, and they're hungry for the truth. But as I said, the reason why they need to see it being outworked in us is because otherwise they'll think it's just another fad. Is it another fad? I hope not. You know, those 400 men, they had to lay down everything and they became God's, uh, they became David's um, bodyguard. And it's a beautiful story of how they, right throughout David's life, they protected him through thick and thin. They walked with him. It's a really quite an incredible thing. But you know what? They felt contented and they felt fulfilled walking in the bigger plan of what God was doing. So much of what I've shared tonight is really about my own story and my own life. And there is a battle going on. I know that there is a battle. But I want to encourage you to all walk with us together. You know, it's just not about me and my walk. It's about us and our walk together. Not to be discouraged. And to allow God to begin to work in the recesses of our hearts. Coming as little children and asking Him to be able to walk in here. Because there is a collision happening right now. There is a battle. It's not all lovey-dovey. There is a battle as we surrender to him. When I saw the truth, my new, my reality, new re, sorry, my new reality demanded a response or be run over by the machine. So I have begun a journey. I've been a Christian for about 30-odd years, but I've learned I've had to let go of so much of my old religious mindset that I had and walk into the new and I'm finding there's so much more I have to let go too. I'm discovering more and more and more that, gosh, there's more and more to surrender. Things I never thought of. In some ways, we have many Jordan rivers still to cross. There won't be one river. There'll be many. The story of transformation is a process, but most importantly, it's about entwining ourselves with him. Without that entwining, when the shaking comes, we will fall away. But we don't want that. We want everybody to entwine themselves in the Word. To find out what God is saying. Because it's through that interaction that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart about certain things. When He speaks to you, He reveals certain things. It's called revelation of what His Word is saying to you. It begins to cut through. And out of that brokenness, there's repentance comes. And out of that repentance comes restoration and life and a new mindset 
And the process continues over and over again. Outside of that process, there's not really much that happens. It's not really... Transformation really happens outside that process. But I don't want to put that in a little box. God deals with us all differently, in different ways. I don't want to put it, this is the way, this is the so many steps. God will be speaking to your hearts in different ways. And I want you to listen to him and what he's saying more than anything else. And I want to end with this. The children of Israel, they were standing at the foot of the Jordan River. This is the ones that came out of Egypt. They came out 40 years ago. They were a whole lot of individuals, a rabble, doing their own thing. But today they stood as a nation of people before crossing over. You know, just the days before, they were camping at a place called Acacia Road. It was the place of thorny bushes. It was the place of uncomfortableness. It was the place that they couldn't really settle. It was a place of preparation as God began to work in their hearts before they crossed over. And even when they crossed over, guess what? There was a lot more of preparation they had to take. But you know, they stood on that river. You know, they could have built a boat. They could have tried to build a bridge. But they didn't. They knew that they'd never been this way before. And they had to trust in God to lead them to the other side for God to step out. So they learn to listen and obey. Today, I want to share with you that we have not been this way before. But are we prepared to listen and obey to what God is saying? I pray our hearts are. Now, I sense that we're in a place where God is, we're still in the wilderness as God is dealing with a lot of the flesh and things like that. God's dealing with a lot of different attitudes, but he's joining us together as a people that we may stand together to cross over, not just as one or two, but as a whole body. Isn't it incredible when God moves as a whole body? Because there's nothing more beautiful than us walking this road together. Let's join our hearts together, amen?